Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to this week's Education Matters. This is a special episode today. We are actually filming this live at the Public School Forum's fifth annual Eggs and Issues Breakfast. We're at Marble's Kids Museum in downtown Raleigh, which is uh, uh, just a happy place to have an event like this that's focused on children. We have, we just got through talking about the top 10 education issues for 2019, and I have really a phenomenal panel um, that's gonna talk to you and give you their insights about what they think are some of the top issues and what they think we should be doing about it. To my right, we have Beth Embry. Beth is the 2018-2019 North Carolina School Counselor of the Year from Catawba County Schools. To my immediate right is Freebird McKinney. Freebird is the 2018 Burroughs Welcome Fund North Carolina Teacher of the Year, proud son from Alamance Burlington Schools. So, so welcome. <laughs> to my left is Alexa Jimenez. Alexa is a 2018 Latinx 20 under 20 honoree, and she is a current student at Heritage High School in Wake Forest. Thank you, Alexa. And last but certainly not least, Tabari Wallace, 2018 Wells Fargo, North Carolina Principal of the Year, Craven County Schools. So, welcome. Everybody. All right, let's, let's, let's jump into our topics. Our number one issue for 2019, the Public School Forum, um, is public schools for the public good. Now, we showed a video with some folks talking about what their public schools mean to them, but since Y'all were going to be here together on stage with me. I didn't get a video of you. I thought I would just ask you directly. So I want to ask you, um, I guess first, I'm going to start with you, Freebird. Okay. Um, what do public schools mean to you? So, uh, and Lauren said it, uh, I actually grew up in the Charlotte Mech system too, went to Irwin Open School, and I had a teacher, Miss Velasquez. And uh, one of the most memorable activities that she did is she made us line up and we had to sing We Are the World as a class before <laughs> we went out to PE. Uh, and, and so I had an amazing, diverse group of colleagues and it taught me so much about how to build a collective and collaborative effort together because we all wanted to get outside for, for recess. But how do we do that? And we had to align with Kenny Rogers and Michael Jackson. And, and, and so it gave us, a, and that's what schools can do. They can create this sense of bond that transcends our classrooms and goes out into this greater community. But it can also give us the confidence to become who we are as a human being. It can allow us self-actualization and self-realization, even by transcending many of the needs we have that we're going to kind of talk about today uh, in response to, you know, the needs that we're trying to serve our students when it comes to Maslow's. What, what about you, Beth? Um, I certainly have had many wonderful experiences as a student, but I think I am most proud of my personal family lineage. I am a fourth generation public school educator. Uh, my great grandmother, my grandmother, and my mother, who is here today. She's here in the audience. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just super proud of the, the, uh, the historical impact that my family has had and, and encouraging that among our youth to, to also be a part of that, that culture within our community. Tabari? Well, pretty much that's where you find yourself. That's where school is where you set your direction and your futuristic path. Um, and you're surrounded by people that actually believe in you. 
um, people that you don't know, but after 180 days, you're best friends. <laughs> I've got to tell you, and you run into influential teachers that, that definitely see things in you and tell you things that you didn't see in yourself. So I wouldn't be standing here right now today if I didn't, if somebody else outside an external entity didn't tell me that I could be somebody. Mm. And then they set that path right there. Bernadette Green, chemistry, I made an A in her class. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it the most amazing? We, we, were, we remember these teachers' names forever. Mm -hmm. Forever. Mm -hmm. Alexa, all right, you're, 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 you've got this, you've got a heads up on all You're still a student in a public <laughs> school in North Carolina. So talk to me about, uh, uh, about what your school means to you. Well, I've been in public school since kindergarten, and I think people don't realize how much it influences you. You're there five days a week for eight hours, surrounded by teachers, other peers, and your peers come from different households and different cultures. And I think that's such a beautiful thing, that you get to see a different style of life that you would if you just you know, you were homeschooled or maybe you went to a private school that didn't have as great of a diversity. And so that's why I love going to a public school. And like they were all saying, teachers impact you in a way that you would never realize, whether that's challenging you in some classes where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to make it. Or <laughs> if it's just helping you with your career planning that you want to do in the future and how you can be eventually a member of society as well. Yeah. Freebird, you and I talked about this briefly the other day, um, about our state's focus and commitment to public schools. Um, do you think we're as committed today to the public schools or as committed as we need to be? So, and traveling around the state this past year has given me some really keen insights. So at, at the grassroots level, at, it's been so humbling to go into schools and to meet teachers and I've never seen such commitment. Um, I think the greatest lesson I've learned and I'm not just saying this, is like, I'm not the actual teacher of the year. I was named the teacher of the year. But there are 100 teachers out there that are so committed at the grassroots level. And I think if we're looking at that in that teacher's classroom and at that school level, the level of commitment is off the charts. As we progress and now we get this kind of 30,000 feet of view up in the air, this is a perfect example of how committed a large segment of our population is towards education. We just need, as educators, to educate the rest of the public on what our needs is and the changing demographics of what our schools represent and what the needs of our students in those schools are. So I think as we look towards the future, I would like to continue the commitment we see at the grassroots level and really move that at a greater level and try and educate the rest of the public about what the needs of our schools are. And some of that, look, some of that does show up in adequacy and equity of funding. To Bard, I mean, do you see differences in sort of funding across the state? I mean, you're over in Craven County. Yeah, and uh, my uh, West Craven High School is in the rural part of, of Craven County. And uh, to, to, to see the inequity in, in the funding, uh, we could do so much more if we had more resources to do it with. We're going to take care of our babies. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. That's why you see a lot of teachers <laughs> in Walmart. You see a lot of teachers getting what the students need. So we're going to take care of our babies. Well, we, need to be but taking care, we need to be taking care of you, though, right? right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I do want to, I want to um, ask, I want to shift in this, we may have to take a commercial break before we start, but in about three weeks, we're going to mark the one-year anniversary of the horrific shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Um, three months ago, we had a shooting in Charlotte. Alexa, you're a current student now. I mean, I remember growing up in Fayetteville, we had tornado drills where we went out in the hallway. We didn't have active shooter drills. You're the active shooter drill generation. Um, how does that... I mean, does that, is that a, just a, it's just there? It's something inevitable, I think, for us to think about. I mean, we see it all the time in the media, and you don't want to think 
like, oh, maybe it's my school, but it, at this point, it's something that you're forced to think about. And I think there's good groundwork with, you know, the lockdown drills and educating what code red, code green, or code yellow means. Mm -hmm. And we definitely know what we have to do in an event, but I think what's most important is preventing an event like that to ever happen in the first place. Whether that be, you know, adding more guidance counselors and psychologists to the school, or just teaching students to be aware of their peers and look for signs that might point out, you know, an event like that that's so tragic and so horrible. Great. Um, I want to take, I want to go ahead and uh, take advantage of a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I want to maybe talk a little bit more about safety, but then I want to get into the teaching profession more uh, exclusively, and I also want to talk about race equity issues in our schools, so stick around. Welcome back to Education Matters. Uh, we've got this wonderful panel here at the Eggs and Issues Breakfast 2019. Um, we just talked a little bit about uh, the teaching, about, sorry, about school safety, but I want to shift gears and talk about teaching um, because it's such a critical part. And we, and everyone, when we talked about the importance of their public school, really you talked about the importance of your teacher, right? So, um, I, you know, I want to ask, um, you know, I'll start with you, Tabari. I mean, all three of you, chose um, education as a profession. Um, but sadly, more and more young people um, do not want to become teaching. And frankly, sometimes they're being discouraged from teaching by their parents. Um, I mean, we know we've got some deans of schools of education here that tell us that they talk to parents and they say, well, we would love for them to be a teacher, but why would we want to spend that much money on college for a dead-end job like teaching? I mean, it's, what do we need to do differently for teachers? Well, I'll tell you, look, peering into the future, I'm, I'm terrified of 2021. Um, taking away the, uh, the, re the retirement, potential retirement and healthcare, that's one big draw bringing in kids into the profession. Uh, but uh, we do need to return to remove the stigma of teaching. A lot of kids will tell you that's not a lot of money in teaching, but they don't realize that that's for 10 months. You make that 35 nine, for 10 months. You see what I'm saying? You have a two other months. And don't forget the paid holidays and this and that. So it's a great profession. But it's not just about money when it comes to the young, to the, to, to the young <laughs> folk. Um, it's about seeing that child and each child has experienced it, as I said before, the aha moment when they do succeed, when they overcome a challenge. And then that glory that you have when they jump into your arms and they hug you and they did it. That's priceless. You can't put a price on that. You're moving a child and you're affecting the next generation. So that, 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 to me, is more than money. Beth, what do you think? You know, as a school counselor, one of the things that uh, concerns me is that I really think teaching is a craft. It's an art. And so much of the policies and procedures that are happening uh, are impacting the teacher's individuality and in, in how they uh, choose to lead caliber instruction in their classroom. And the greatest concern for me as a school counselor is that there are so many layers of pressure for our classroom teachers that not only does it impact the caliber of instruction that's happening, but I think engagement, having the educators that are in our building be able to be present with our students, being able to engage with our students, rather than when they are in front of that classroom, just having that constant roller coaster of all these things I need to get done and these, the paperwork that I need to file and you know the PD hours I need to get. and um, so. 
I think, you know, being able to eliminate or decrease some of that pressure so that not only we can appreciate the craft of teaching, but also make sure that, you know, as educators, that our educators can be present and engaged and build the quality relationships with the kids in the classroom, which is far, far more important than the academic impact that they have. Freebird, North Carolina Teacher of the Year. I know you try to claim not to be, but you are. <laughs> it is Part of true. that role is you go around and travel all across the state mm -hmm. and talk to teachers. What are the themes? What are they telling you? Uh, well, I, th I think one of the most important things that we're really looking at is what the role of the teacher actually means in the 21st century. And I think speaking to a lot of what Beth and I were talking about earlier is that this role in that those base levels of Maslow's, we, we have the opportunity. And again, that you know, the Chinese word for crisis has the radical for both danger and opportunity. So yes, we understand that there are issues, but we have the opportunity to allow our teachers to get PD and ACEs and trauma-informed schools and implicit bias. Uh, these are things that we need to help prepare our teachers with so that we can now allow both of our students and our teachers to transcend the walls of our classroom to build better relationships with the community. We have a great opportunity to change the narrative of what the teacher represents, to kind of go back to the importance of what the teacher was for our students, but also what they were in our community. And I see a great trend right now. I see a lot of very, very promising things that are going on. Again, a lot of people in this crowd, but I see teachers really wanting and craving that next level of professional development to really serve the needs of their kids and to build better relationships Wonderful. out with their communities. All right, well, you mentioned implicit bias, mm -hmm. so I want to shift. I want to talk a little bit about race. Um, I mean, the data is clear. I mean, this is not just a supposition. Schools are becoming more segregated. There's wide disparities along racial lines in how students are disciplined, um, black and brown students. They're placed in fewer advanced courses. Um, black and brown students are more likely to be identified as having a learning or behavioral disability. Um, in the last few years, well, well, heck, in the last three days, have proven anything, we are far from post-racial in America. How are we gonna fix this? I'm gonna start with you, Tabari, because you seem like you had an answer. That's the third time. That's <laughs> the third time you started with <laughs> so you, you See, you got my eyes. So That's right. The racial inequity um, that exists today is, is largely unseen. Um, it's more of a construct, it's intangible. Um, but in order to address it, um, equity and equality is two different things. Um, and equity deals with more of the, the preconceived notions, the stereotypes and this and that. Um, to fix it, you have to move, remove that. Um, you, I call them the guards. Uh, you, know, you, you, you have to remove that sub, sub, subjectivity to allow people the opportunity to be able to provide for themselves, to go to the school that they want, and this and that, to have the best teachers. It's the opportunity that's the key that minorities face to be able to get ahead. You know, equity is, um, equality is everybody gets the same thing. Everybody gets a pair of Reeboks. Well, I don't wear Reeboks. I wear Jordans. I wear Nikes. And other people wear Timberlands and dress shoes, high heel shoes, and this and that. Um, equity is removing the barriers, okay, so that we can earn a good wage to buy the Nikes or to buy what we need to do or to have that opportunity to advance. Yeah, and you know, it's, and, and when it's just, this is a tough issue to talk about because when you start talking about race, then you go, well, are you, are you suggesting that people are racist or teachers or systems? But I think it's trying to shift the conversation. And Alex, I'm gonna ask you, I mean, um, um, as a student of color, um, uh, we're looking, you, you said minorities, uh, 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 black and brown students are not the minority in public schools anymore. But that's true. Um, right. Alexa, what do you, I mean, is it, do you, as a young Latina, this has obviously been a, uh, an issue nationally, sort of where do you feel, where do you sit on those issues? 
When it comes to race and ethnicity, what I've always noticed is that in your academic core classes, you do see diversity and you're like, okay, there's people who look like me, people that sound like me. But then as you go into your honors classes or advanced placement classes, you don't see that representation anymore. And it's something that as a Latina student can be discouraging because you're like, why aren't there other people like that? But something that at least my school has done is that we have an honor society called National Achiever Society. It's for students of color and it's just helped us, you know, network together. We meet once a month, we do study groups together. And I think it's things like that where you have exemplar students who are students of color who are succeeding in their schools, who are involved in their schools. And I think that starts with the teachers as well. We have two amazing advisors. They're both African-American and they just inspire us and say, you know, you can do it. You're no different. That's wonderful. All right. Well, we're going to take, a, we're going to take our last commercial break and then we come back a final segment with this great panel. So let's give them a round of applause. Welcome back to Education Matters. Already a great panel discussion. We're going to have our final segment with our group. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things. Uh, testing. Um, you know, Superintendent Mark Johnson just recently made some announcements about it. We've been talking about it, but it, from a policy perspective, North Carolina has actually been doubling down on um, sort of creating more tests, whether it's Read to Achieve or uh, with our recent Every Student Succeeds Act, which tied everything back to school performance grades and testing. So, um, Freebird, you are a classroom teacher. Um, how big of a problem is it? Uh, do you think, I mean, are we, I mean, have we literally like just kind of gone too far in terms of how much time we spend on it? Well, and, and, I, and there's two parts to this. And first I want to talk about what, what we had talked about in the top 10 and the identity of growth versus proficiency, I think is just is a huge disparity in our understanding of what our kids are coming to our schools with and how we're not appropriately serving their needs uh, at all levels. And so if we're gonna measure, when we're looking at our schools and they're off the charts growth versus the proficiency levels at some of these, that's not a fair comparison. It's not fair to put those two together. I don't think it actually serves what our schools and what our teachers are actually doing on a day-to-day -day basis. And then also what you were talking about earlier with the barriers that some of the testing has to make sure that we get qualified teachers in those classrooms. I think that's something that we absolutely need to revisit and we're working on that very hard right now. Right, um, Alexa, testing, big part of your life? It definitely <laughs> is. Um, I've had to take standardized testing since the third grade, and it's always something that's in the back of your mind when you're taking a course. But what I've realized is that when teachers focus more on the material and like your engagement in it, that's when those are the classes that kids want to come into class. They want to participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, it's, and tomorrow, it's, it's a balance, right? I mean, I, I mean, I don't think anyone's suggesting no testing, right. no grades, right? But, but I agree with Freebird with the 80-20 uh, current correlation that we have as far as proficiency and growth um, is doing a disservice. Right now, you have teachers, especially in high school, you got 90 days to get it in, and the, 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 the standards are extensive. So it doesn't leave a lot of room for the whole child development, you know, the approach when you go in there. But uh, it's really concerning to me because my livelihood is tied to it. Right. I mean, um, I mean, and I've been to three different schools and turned them around, but we all know it takes two to three years to turn the school around. If I have exceeded growth at, my, at the school that I, that I left and go to the new school, I got one year to get it around, well, my 
income begins to right, decrease. Yeah. So that's the top Keith, I would love to speak on that too. Yeah, Just um, from the mental health aspect, one of the most concerning things uh, that I see, I work in an elementary school, and not only do we consider the pressure and the time consumed and that what detracts from actual instruction, uh, but the, the mental impact or the self-esteem impact that that testing uh, does to our children. And in an elementary school, uh, we are in our third year of just trying to totally shift how our children uh, look at EOGs and all this standardized testing because we had a historical pattern of students that were, you know, earning a one or receiving a level one on their test year after year. And you take an eight-year-old that is in third grade and you tell them in third grade and in fourth grade and in fifth grade that it's all about passing and you are three levels from passing for your third year in a row. It was very frightening because we were losing our kids by fifth grade on their investment in academics. So we have implemented in our, for our third year what we call the Own It Challenge. And we have, you know, don't share the secret, but we've basically been telling our children. Oh, it, this, this won't be on TV. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> but we've been telling our children just to erase the whole purpose of passing. The EOGs are not about passing, but it's all about the focus on raising your rank. And so we take our EC students, our ELL students, our, you know, students that have tr traditionally made ones and said that it's all about raising your rank. And we've educated our kids what their percentile rank is. And we are in our third year of receiving high growth just because we were able to change the platform and even just how we delivered the information about what standardized testing is. And so I think it's very powerful not only for how it impacts you know, instruction, but what it does to the self-esteem and academic confidence of our children so early in life for their future. Yes, sir. Before you go on, uh, there's a big tidal wave coming that, that I don't think anybody's really paying attention to yet, but they will in May. The math one and math three test scores are, will be delayed until yes. the fall. Mm -hmm. Now we have students that are going to take a test, but the test does not count for 25% of their grades. But our school is going to be labeled with the new Correct. A to F. Mm -hmm. We're going to be labeled for that, so now we have to find some creative to way them. to motivate the students. Look, I know y'all are not going to be, you know, assessed by this, but we are. We right. need you to take the test. Right. Please hard. take the test. Do not do abracadabra all the way down the paper. Please. Yes. Okay, so so that's coming, and nobody's talking well, about that. Well, we have that. a lot that's of teachers that watch this show, so I know that they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly. I want to um, just, we, we got a couple minutes left. I do want to talk about school choice a little bit, because I, uh, all of you are from different parts across the state that are, uh, you know, that are impacted by the, the rapidly growing number of charter schools as well as private school vouchers. Just, I, I'm just going to ask you, I don't even know where some of you all and what you see in your communities. Um, um, Freebird, what's uh, sort of where do, where do you, you you mentioned it about sitting in the state board of education mm -hmm. meeting and talking about issues? Well, and I and I think there's a there's a mindset that the charter schools aren't part of the public schools, and I think that's one of the things that in fact one of the recently named uh, we have a, a teacher the name recently Doug Price we're going to go to his school later on today and see great examples of what we talked about those innovative lab schools. The problem is when you start changing what the, that idea of that original mindset was on those schools, it completely changes the whole dynamics of what a public school is for all students, equitable and just access to education. And I think in a lot of different ways that's changing as we really you know, move off of what the original intent of the public school was. Uh, Beth, what are, any thoughts from, uh, from Catawba County? I don't have as much experience with uh, working with charter schools, but I, I can speak from my own experience and seeing what is available to students that are in our public school. And I just, you know, I, I find that we need to promote what is happening in our public schools. I had an experience this past week. We were having our, uh, you know, 
fast food spirit night as a fundraiser and our student council was working the doors and the cash register and greeting our guests and um, those that were coming out to help us and uh, I'm at a school that's named St. Stephen's and we had a gentleman come in and uh, immediately when he asked you know which school are you from and the children said St. Stephen's and he said oh thank goodness you're at a private school and I was so proud of our students because they stood up and they said, no, sir, we're a public school and we're the best school around. And, and I thought, you know, right. good right. for you. All right. I, you know, I was trying to come up with a great rap for the show. She just did it because I think, like, I think our public schools are the best thing around too, right? Yeah. And, and I think that we all want them to succeed. And look, I want you all to thank our panel for joining us today. Uh, we appreciate their time. And thank you at home for watching. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you next week for another brand new Education Matters. Thanks.